Welcome to Code Gray, an episode-by-episode retrospective of the Shonda Rhimes show, Grey's Anatomy. I'm Megan Totsky. And I'm Teresa Rosado. And each week we review an episode's characters, themes, song choices, deaths, and so much more. And we are starting from the very beginning. Um, I came home two days ago and my brother was listening to our podcast ah. on a speaker in the garage what? while staining some of our tech furniture. <laughs> and I almost got in my car and, and drove away again. <laughs> I was like, nope, 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 nope. Can't do this. People keep, because ever since we put it on Facebook, a lot of people have been talking to me about it. And I keep like, I, I have the most awkward, horrible reactions. I'm like, you don't have to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> people i haven't heard from in like two years <laughs> have contacted me and i'm like oh god ah. my supervisor at work was like you're doing a podcast and i was like oh uh no <laughs> not but for you it was a joke April I mean, Fools. and she was like i'm really looking forward to listening to it and i was like no it's, just, it's not me it's <laughs> it's a different i got hacked <laughs> And I don't know why, like, I'm pretty proud of it, but... Same, but, like, I'm so fine with strangers listening yes. to us, because I don't care, I don't fucking know them, right? but, like, people I know, yes. and worse, people I vaguely know. Yes. Or people who I've, like, really structured who I am around them, and that doesn't involve yeah. this version of me. <laughs> yeah, it's been a, it's been a rough time. <laughs> Oh, funny. All right. Um, so season one, episode seven, um, the self-destruct button. We are two episodes away from the end yeah. of this season, which blows my mind. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thanks to the writer's strike of 05, 06 or whatever. <laughs> thanks, guys. All right. So it's the self-destruct button. Do you know um, what song this yeah, is? Yeah. Apparently it's by some lady... Or man, because it's one of those weird names, um, named Dana Monte. Oh. I, I don't know who that is, and I haven't searched to listen to the song yet. I don't think we need to. <laughs> thanks, Dana. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Dana's just like one of the members of the Diddy Bops, <laughs> but they didn't want to list it as the Diddy Bops, so they were like... I don't blame them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, this is, this is kind of a weird episode in that there are so many patients. Yeah. It's a little bit of like an ensemble episode, you yes, know, like there's definitely. just everybody sort of doing their own, everybody's an island here, but that's okay. It's mm -hmm. good. And we won't, we don't necessarily want to talk about all of these. Some of these patients are stupid. <laughs> we don't need to talk yeah, about all Sorry, of them. <laughs> boyfriend who swallows his girlfriend's keys. Yeah. We don't care about we you. We really don't. <laughs> <laughs> I almost fast forwarded through his scenes, to be honest. <laughs> I was like, I was like, immediately when I saw them, I was like, ah, oh, it's this. Episode. Like, I sort of felt like they maybe recorded the episode and it was only 35 minutes long and they were like, oh, fuck. We need another patient in here. We need another patient. Let's think of something quick. <laughs> yeah. All right. And some lady on staff was like, one of my ex boyfriends swallowed my keys once. <laughs> And the, voila. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is a really important episode because it's the episode where everyone, meaning all of Meredith's friends, mm -hmm. 
sort of friends, <laughs> find out that she and Derek are sleeping together. Yeah. Do you want to, uh, I believe we had a, so. a deal last time that you would do the, oh, the summary shit. this time. Yeah, I have to do the next two. That's right. And, okay. and next week, just um, for the record, so it's recorded. Yeah. <clears> and I got that. <laughs> okay. I didn't remember that, uh-huh. and then I was editing our pre- our previous episode and was like, oh, fuck. Don't worry, I didn't That's forget. Right. Mine like a steel trap, this one. Um, <laughs> so are you going to count me down? I am. Um, three, mm. two, one, go. Okay, so Meredith's roommates slash friends slash colleagues find out that she's sleeping with Derek Shepard, their boss. Um, she also has to take care of take care of a patient named Claire who had gastric bypass surgery in Mexico, and it was a terrible idea. Um, Alex continues to be a jagoff. Um, <laughs> Shepard takes care of a toddler who has seizures on the left side of her body. Um, Yang has the flu, but surprise, Stop. it's not the flu. <laughs> That's the episode. <laughs> It wasn't as bad as it could have been. It wasn't. Honestly. You have a calm that I don't have when you do the summary. <laughs> Shout out uh, high school speech and debate. That's right. What up? That's right. What up, Mr. O'Donnell? Ms. Fritz? I hope you never listen to this. <laughs> anyway... Um, your mom had the really great idea that we should codename people we know in real life instead of just calling them out on the podcast. Oh. And it's a great idea in that it makes a lot of sense, but also I'm, I'm not ever going to do it. <laughs> I'm so. going to forget that we have code names. I'm going to be like, Jacqueline, I mean, oh. Betty. I'm sorry, Sandy, <laughs> which is her real name. <laughs> Sandy just turned us off. Right. <laughs> you mean Juniper just turned yeah. us off. <laughs> All right. Um, so this so this episode starts off. <laughs> we're getting there. We're settling down. Um, the episode starts off with um, Izzy and George really pissed off um, at. I mean, understandably, at five thirty in the morning because they haven't gotten much sleep because uh, Meredith has been having incredibly loud sex, um, and it's kept them up all night. Yeah, but they don't know who with. Yeah, they don't know who with. And then and Meredith, for not the first time in their short relationship, kicks Derek out, which I appreciate every single time. Not the first or last. Yeah. Um, and they see Izzy and George see Derek leaving, um, which, yeah. as you said, is, is sort of an important moment because it's clear that everyone's going to is going to know this is going to become sort of public knowledge um, for the most part now. And I do like your point of like, you know, it is Meredith's house. <laughs> like, I get they're pissed and they didn't get a lot of sleep, but it's kind of her space. <laughs> but like, yes, my point was pretty much like they live there by the grace of Meredith Gray. Mm-hmm. If they didn't live there, I know what the Seattle housing market is like, okay? And they would live in some fucking micro studio. That's right. <laughs> with a communal kitchen that they share with a hundred other tech company employees so <laughs> i say meredith gray can have whatever kind of sex she wants in That's that right. house and they just have to deal with it um so everybody's like ready to sort of be upset with both derek and meredith during this episode because they're you know tired and have been having sex all night and everybody thinks that they're um meredith's getting sort of privileges for sleeping with the head of, of neuro so most notably bailey is ready to sort of put 
Grey through the ringer um, once again. And she's like yammering off different things that Meredith has to do. And Meredith's sort of yawning and scribbling. Late night, Grey. No, caffeine just hasn't kicked in yet. If you were all religious, you would want to start praying it kicks in soon. There's a consult in the pit. Girl with a fever and abdominal pain. After that, Nicholas in 3311 needs his meds. Mr. Mower's IV fell out and he's a hard stick. Post-ops in 1337, 3342, 3363, and 2383, and 2683. <laughs> hey, like, you do what you want, but I'm going to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm going to put you through the ringer. I'm going to give you... And they have sort of a, a frank conversation about it later on in the show. Um, but they are both really honest about the whole thing. You know, like, Meredith's like, what I do in my time is my time, and, like, it's none of your business. And Bailey's like, whatever, everybody knows your business. And they and they they just sort of have almost a little banter about it. And I don't know, I just kind of like it. Yeah, yeah. It feels like Bailey's reached a place of not acceptance, but a place of... Yeah, just sort of like, you'll do what you're going to do. Uh-huh. I'm going to do what I'm going to do, which is to make your life hell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Gray's like, and that okay. seems fair. Yeah. <laughs> Meredith doesn't seem upset about it. Like, <laughs> And frankly, I, I like your that... point that she seems to be learning a lot. <laughs> yeah. like... I really think she is. <laughs> you know? I get the sense that this is how, like, the medical uh, program should work, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> um and then and then so we can we can sort of get into Claire here. So um yeah. Meredith is confronted with there's a, a young woman, she's 17 and is a freshman in college and she's come into the ER because she has abdominal discomfort. She's fainted in the shower and her parents both of her parents have come in um with her and her, her mother is like <laughs> She's such a bitch. She's, she's really she's like the worst. Um, she's just, you know, ripping. And like we've all met Ellis Gray at this point, right? So. Right. Um, and so her dad is sort of this like a little more sensitive, but like kind of an oof. Like he's just sort of a, a guy, and 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 the mom is clearly sort of a power player, and she's, you know, straight talking, and she's in her pencil skirt, and she's just like got her hair pulled back tighter than hell, and she's just a she's just a huge bitch. And so Meredith, like any you know, young woman who has mommy issues connects with Claire immediately. <laughs> so like any young woman. Right. <laughs> um, and I think you're right that it is a little bit of an, an obvious storyline <laughs> that Meredith yeah. sort of connects with her and she has mommy issues. Anyway, we, backing up a little bit. So Claire has had, it becomes clear that Claire has had gastric bypass surgery in Mexico and it's, it's gone south. Um, and she's <laughs> gone. You know what I mean? South. You get it? Yeah. Because yeah, Mexico's in the south, yeah, and they're in yeah. Seattle, which is north, and I liked it. It, it was south. awesome. Um, <laughs> she has an abscess on her, like on her diaphragm, which later explodes on Meredith, and it's it's <laughs> great. It's so gross. It's absolutely disgusting. <laughs> it's so gross. It's like the world's biggest zit popping out. Of yes, Meredith's that's face. exactly what it's like. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and um. 
Yeah, and and throughout this episode, you know, you're kind of trying to figure out why she would get gastric bypass surgery in Mexico, and it becomes clear that she she has some body dysmorphia issues mm-hmm. um, in addition to her problems with her mom, and those her body issues clearly stem from her mother's pressure, yeah, um, and influence, and because yeah. because uh, we're talking about a very you know she's a perfectly normal sized girl. Um, there's there's Clearly no reason for gastric bypass, right? Yeah. Um, she's not at all a candidate for the actual procedure. Right. Um, and so so the show's really trying to um, draw a parallel between this relationship between Claire and her hideous mother um, mm-hmm. and, and Meredith's ambivalent relationship with Ellis Gray. Right. Um, Which I yeah. think is, is, like you said, is obvious, but again particularly early on in the show, um, they they really reach for the obvious storylines. <laughs> the show is yeah. so much about character <laughs> development that it's hard. I think it's sort of hard. It's not it's not particularly plot driven. Um, yeah. And so I think particularly early on, they're really just focusing on <laughs> like just really galvanizing these characters. Yeah. Yeah. In the in the early seasons, um, you know, particularly in this season, the only real story arc is that of Meredith and Derek. Mm-hmm. Um, even Christina and um, Burke are not, they're not an arc. They're kind of an aside yeah. at this point still. Um, so, yeah, so you do get a lot of your um, sort of character and narrative developments around the patients who come in. And I think that shifts a lot um, as it becomes more like a typical melodrama. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the beginning, you're trying to hear all of their stories their micro stories through the stories of their patients. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I don't and know. They're that... all really obvious. This, <laughs> this episode. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they are. So the, the next one that we have here is uh, a man named Digby. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Which is not a code name. Apparently that's just his God given name. name. <laughs> yeah. Um, who gets shot because he likes the recreationally, he likes the scars that it leaves, and so he's sort of a frequent flyer of the ER at Seattle Grace. Um, and he's come in because he's been shot and um, <laughs> on purpose. Yep. And <laughs> it's it's you know he knows he knows Burke, and but he he gets his connection from Karev because they both went to Iowa State and they were both in fact wrestlers. Um, and that's, I think actually just a, just a yeah. small quibble. Yeah, one went to Iowa State and the other one went to Iowa. Oh, okay, okay, mine. Which matters yeah. apparently. Yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> not the most surprising thing I've heard about the Midwest that something <laughs> like that would matter. Um, so they were both, you know, went to Iowa schools <laughs> and they were our both wrestlers. In Iowa. Uh, they time. both are from Iowa <laughs> and. So this is an important moment for Krev, I think, like you said, we're sort of learning more about characters through these patients. And um, and he's sort of, it's the first person that Krev has sort of met and we see from, from back home and we see a little bit of humanity in him with Digby here. Um, but it's just weird. Digby's weird. But We see, like, yeah, like we see humanity from Krev, sure. Um, but it's still so dickish. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So so he he bonds with this patient essentially over um macho bullshit mm-hmm. like pain is gain kind of shit. Yeah. Have an ethos. Why do anything unless you're willing to go one step further than anybody else? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Exactly. 
And pain is the great divide. My coach used to say it's all about how we process pain. We start the episode with Karev, you know, jogging into the hospital, which is annoying to everyone on screen and me watching it at home with a beer. Um, and he and it just kind of proceeds from there. And and even his sort of empathy with the patient isn't like it's not helpful to the patient in any way. It's, it's mm-hmm. actually kind of actively stimming this stymieing stymieing. Yeah. Stymieing this patient <laughs> um, from from seeking further help because eventually he has um, uh, an, an infected tattoo, which he doesn't yeah. tell anyone about um, when he initially goes in to have the gunshot wound treated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, his his body is, is toxic at this point because of the infection that the doctors didn't know had already begun. Um, and so Karev is like, is nurturing this egotistical, you know, sort of, um, I, I don't know, standard issue masculinity, which ultimately leads to this dude dying. Yeah. He dies. Yeah. I think <laughs> that's a really good point. he doesn't want to complain about a little pain. Yeah. Yeah, and and the only context that we see Karev in this entire episode is like his sort of hyper masculinity himself. You know, whether it's his interactions yeah. with Digby or his jogging, like you said, or his like he works out like three times in this episode, which I agree is just frankly annoying. What does he? Um, how does he have time for that? I, I, <laughs> I know. So we really do see sort of his. He sort of takes shape here as just this like stereotypical masculine asshole. Um, yeah, which is sort of wholly disappointing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And and I think you see like I mean you see that fail him for yeah. sort of the second episode in the row. Yeah. Right? So last episode his patient Annie dies. Mm-hmm. Um and again, it's sort of it's sort of his ego. It's not necessarily a masculine ego um that leads him to to judge Annie and eventually get kicked off that case. Yeah. Um but it's it's the second episode in a row where Alex has a pretty um a pretty intense loss. Yeah, um, yeah, and uh, and they're entirely due to his own whatever it is, like well, ego. I think, or ego. Yeah. yeah, you know, I think that he's just like he thinks that he's better than he is at this point, and and it's yes. surprising that it's taken you know two episodes for him to to not figure that out or not adjust, you know. And he's has zero apologies about that behavior too, which is <laughs> yeah, frustrating. Yeah, and even at the end of the episode, he's sad about Digby. He says to Burke, you know, like, this is the first guy I ever met from back home. Um, but there's no sense that, like, <laughs> you know, what Digby was involved in was super dangerous and stupid and reckless, and that's what directly led to his death. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> he doesn't back down from his earlier sort of, like, man, you know, this guy... This guy really gets it. He doesn't back down from that at all. No, he's still on the same, like, he's still on board. He's like, oh, yeah. man. <laughs> it's really too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he doesn't see Me and that dude, we could have worked out together. Yeah. <laughs> With all my free time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, should we talk about Jamie? Yeah. So let's, let's move through. So the easiest way to kind of organize this episode yeah. is by patients because there are so many medical cases. <laughs> a lot of them. Um, so Jamie's an interesting case. She is a, I would say she's maybe like two, I don't know. She's a toddler. She's little. Um, and you make the comment that she's pretty cute for a white baby. 
which I agree I with. I stand by that. I, I agree with it. She's a very cute little baby. <laughs> um, but it comes becomes sort of immediately clear that her parents um, are of limited means, um, and they've traveled a long way to come to Seattle Grace to get... Um, she's got this sort of leg twitch that they're trying to figure out what's going on. She has little seizures, sort of. Um, and we find out that she has Rasmussen's encephalitis, which we'll get into a little bit later, but essentially... She's working with George and and with Dr. Shepard and Derek's plan once he recognizes that she has Rasmussen's encephalitis, because that means that essentially half of your brain is dead, if I understand it correctly. Um, and so he, he's going to remove half of her brain. Um, that's his that's his whole plan. <laughs> that's his plan. Um, that's his big plan. That's his whole damn plan. Um, and that's of course possible because she's a baby. Um, and so her the rest of her you know her brain is still very very plastic and is um, will sort of her skull will fill up with spinal fluid and she'll be fine. Um, <laughs> just insane. Um, ah, babies! It just really reminds me of this moment in How I Met Your Mother. Um, I don't know if you ever watched that show, but uh-huh. there's this character, Robin. She's talking about why babies freak her out, and she she mentions the soft spot, uh-huh. and she's like, really apropos for this episode, but she's like, if you're going to have a self-destruct button, why would you put it on the top of your head? <laughs> <laughs> just out there in the open. <laughs> um, and that's really... <laughs> <laughs> really oh, gets at my nice. like discomfort with babies as like not fully formed humans. <laughs> Our audience members should know that neither Teresa nor I are, are fully comfortable with babies. No. And like I don't necessarily recognize them as human until like they can at least stagger around a little bit. Yeah. I think that's fair. <laughs> You know, <laughs> until their skull is closed. Like, I don't think that that's crazy. That is, is that so much to ask? <laughs> until you can, until they're old enough that you cannot cut out half their brain. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just without dire fucking consequences right. that's just, as it should be. That's just how I like my people. <laughs> Fully formed. <laughs> um, so this is, of course, an interesting matchup with George and Derek because um, George is mad at Derek. For, I can't, I can't think of a better word than than to say that George is mad at Derek and he's like butt hurt because um, he's found out that Derek and Meredith are sleeping together and he, of course, has a crush on Meredith. Um, and so his best way to handle this is to pout like a little baby. <laughs> to just um, be terrible. Just it's, it's, he's he's really surly to Derek throughout the whole episode. Like clearly not treating him as as the authority um, that he should, um, and uh, and just kind of just being a dick to Shepard, who notices it but is a professional and continues on with the case as though. His intern is not a total <laughs> prick. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's just... <laughs> George's, like, my bar for George's behavior is already so low. You know, it's just sort of like, I'm already not surprised by him. Like, this is actually incredibly inappropriate behavior, you know, the way that he's yeah. handling this. And George's behavior, in fact, throughout this entire episode is super inappropriate. Um, but I'm already seven episodes in. I'm like, yep. Like, that's par for the course, <laughs> you know. Um, which is really a bummer for him. Um, so the other interesting thing that happens here is that, um, George finds out that Dr. Taylor, who's a sort of, um, an an anesthesiologist, but is one of the better anesthesiologists at Seattle Grace, um, sort of one of the higher ups, um, that he drinks on the job. (laughs) 
Yeah, just straight up. <laughs> just drinks bourbon on the job. And there's this yeah. horrible scene where... Reeks of booze. A, a resident or... I think a resident or another doctor um, says to George that he knows. He's like, oh, yeah, Dr. Taylor, he drinks on the job. And it's yeah. like, whatever. He can still do his job. Like, I'm not going to tell anyone. And George is just like... I do feel for George in that moment, you know, like he's every man in that moment where it's just like, what the fuck? Excuse me? <laughs> did you, did you really just say that? You know? Yeah. Um, but I, I think that this is like, I think that this really, again, sort of galvanizes George's character um, because there's no gray area in this situation. Like if an anesthesiologist who you made the point, it's literally his job to keep babies asleep during brain surgery, right? Like, yeah, that's like, a pretty... like anesthesia, which is which is scary and like hard on the body. My so side quick sidebar. My mom is actually um, she's either allergic or she mm. has a reaction to yeah. anesthesia. She cannot undergo anesthesia because she wakes up, mm. um, and it's incredibly traumatic for the yeah. human body, <laughs> obviously, to wake up during an invasive <laughs> procedure. Yeah. Um, and, and so like, there's a reason that anesthesiologists make so much goddamn money, right? It's because what they're doing is really, really hard and really, really important and super dangerous. And they're more liable. This would have been another interesting medical fact of the week that they're more liable for like, they, they get, you know, lawsuits filed with them more than any other Mm -hmm. medical professional, um, for that exact reason, because it's so, so, so dangerous. Um, And so he drinks on the job while doing this yeah. very important job. <laughs> but I do think in terms of George, <laughs> this is a great challenge for him because there is like no gray area here, right? And like, yet he finds it. And and yet George is like, mm, what do I do? What do I do? Who do I tell? <laughs> Probably no one for a while. <laughs> you know, like there is... Until the procedure is actually happening. <laughs> right. Like he has 10 years to tell all these different people and, and there's such a clear method to when something like this happens in any job there is such a clear order of operations that should happen you know like if you're not comfortable telling that person you tell the person above them right and he could have filed an anonymous report like he could have walked into the chief's office with whom he has a good relationship he could have told Shepard in a private setting like there are so many appropriate things that he could have done and he tells no one. He, like, bitches to his roommates about it over coffee and is like, ooh, did you hear? And, like, <laughs> sort of considers that telling someone. Um, yeah. and, and it's just, it, it makes me so mad um, because I, I, I do hear the point that, like, I'm sure that there is an astronomical amount of pressure and saying something is, is certainly challenging. Um, but I, I just think that in this particular situation, it shouldn't be. Um, and, and he could have, if he was worried about his job, if I, I I guess that my biggest issue is that I don't think he was worried about his job. He was fucking distracted because he was thinking about Derek and Meredith sleeping together. (laughs) You know, like that's where his mind is during this situation. Yeah. And I think we kind of, we, not that we disagree on this point, but Mm -hmm. we are less in sync than we usually are. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm going to take a moment here to to defend George, oh God. which I hesitate oh God. to do because, again, I just want to emphasize that I hate George O'Malley. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the moment where he actually confronts Dr. Taylor in the operating room, so so he does, 
he doesn't report this information in the moment that he smelled alcohol on this doctor's breath or whatever. Mm -hmm. He, he essentially gives Dr. Taylor another chance. So Dr. Taylor shows up for the surgery. He walks into the operating room. O'Malley can smell the alcohol in his breath. And he takes that moment after a lot of dramatic pauses (laughs) to say, to give a good speech that is really more about Derek taking advantage of Meredith than it is about the anesthesiologist on a case being drunk. Yeah. Um, but it's still a good speech. Yes, it is. <laughs> and, and just sort of dresses down this doctor. Um, Shepard, you know, the anesthesiologist is like, get him the fuck out of here. What do you think he's doing? Like, yeah. do you know who I am sort of thing? Um, and and Shepard dismisses O'Malley from the procedure. Um, I I like George in that moment because he he could have sat on the information. It was a terrible time to bring up that the doctor was drunk. Mm-hmm. Like he definitely should have done that before the procedure. <laughs> but at that at that time, you know, it was like, well, I'm either not going to say anything at all, um, or I'm going to wait until after the procedure when this kid could be dead because of a drunk anesthesiologist um and so i like that you know he he takes he decides the right thing eventually yeah despite but that's i I getting immediately shot down and i will say that like it does take bravery and it's better that he said something before the surgery than that but then you know during it but like (laughs) like i said before the bar for George is so low, you know, that, like, that's exceeding your bar for him. Yeah, right? that's true. You know what I mean? I'm like, like, that he told anyone of authority at all, ever, ever. Is, like a, is like a win for yeah. George. And I guess I would be less frustrated if there wasn't, like, 20 minutes of a 45-minute episode between when George finds out and when he says something, you know, like yeah. he's researching, he's studying, he's talking to his friends, he's talking to Shepard, he's talking to the family, he's talking to other doctors, you know, and, and there is no, there's ample opportunity. Um, I guess I just, I see George time and time again, missing opportunities to be a good doctor. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, I, th- I and, think that's definitely true. So I, 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 I don't think, I don't think you're wrong. I think it was brave for him to do it. And I don't want to undermine the like incredible pressure that young doctors are, are put, any doctor, but particularly young doctors are put um, under, you know, particularly around things like this, but yeah, God damn it. It <laughs> was a lot of time for him to do this the right way. And he just doesn't. I really do yeah. hope that there is some positive. George doesn't like suck all the time but he's sucking a lot right now he does suck for most of the time though he does suck for most of the time but just know that right so george gets kicked out yang gets brought in which is great because she's like really jonesing for a good surgery she's um, but also bad because she has the fucking flu right or at least everyone thinks she has the flu at this point and it's still totally okay with her being around like exactly very ill patients and in a surgical environment (laughs) just Anyway, so like potentially immunodeficient patients like, right. oh, this doctor has the flu, but we're going to let her open you up. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I want to I want to kind of wrap up the the George yeah. Derek thing for a second, though, because I, yeah. I just want to yeah. return yeah. to it's jumping way ahead to the end of the episode. Um, but I'm really intrigued by the conversation they have. Um, at the end of the surgery um, yes. when 
when the anesthet- Dr. Taylor has literally fallen asleep during <laughs> the surgery. Um, so Jamie, the baby, starts to wake up and, you know, Derek kicks the anesthesiologist out of his, out of his OR. Yeah. Um, and, he, and he apologizes to George in what I think is, is a great showcase of what's really likable about McDreamy besides his hair mm. and his sparkling eyes yep. is that he, he does have the capacity to admit when he's wrong, which shockingly is, is not a trait that many of the residents or attendings have so yeah. far that we've seen. Let me explain. It's fine. No, there is a code among doctors. We're not supposed to ask each other questions, not within the walls of this hospital. Okay. I was out of line. No, you weren't. I was, I was out of line. Somebody should have taken responsibility, and it should have been the guy doing the cutting. It should have been me. You didn't deserve what happened to you today. You did the right thing, code or no code. He yeah. mentions the code, right? Like there's this mm-hmm. code among doctors, um, and and it's just, it's. I just know that that's got to be real. Like I yes. just, I feel in my heart that that's a real thing, where. In a, across professions, obviously, but like where you can overlook certain behaviors because it's uncouth or disrespectful to bring them up. Yeah, well, it reminds me a little bit about about the the medical fact that you had a couple of weeks ago about the towels left in people. Oh, yeah, right. Sort of this like this like lack of accountability because everybody's too afraid to say something. Yes, um, you know, and I think that that's that sort of plays into this code a little bit. You know that there's so much fear around the medical profession um, that it's just, you know, it's 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 cultural, um, and I think that this really plays into that in, in a way that's like, as somebody who's not a doctor and is a hundred percent of the time is the patient, like that makes me really scared. <laughs> yeah. You know that like yeah. I I think that that's wrong, and I think that people who go into medicine do go into it as as a service, you know, and like a deep care for caring about other people. And this feels, these kind of codes feel so counterculture to me to, to why young people go into medicine. Um, yeah. and, and it, it's scary and sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, it feels the, really, yeah. What's the cost to human lives Right. In, in all of the silence, this insistence on silence. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right that I do. I, I think that that code is, is, I have to believe that that's also a real thing. Um, getting back to our characters, I agree that I really like that scene. I think that um, that you're right that that takes Shepard's charm just sort of to a whole nother level. And we see that, you know, we kind of are getting the sense that he's, I don't know, I'm still a little on the fence of whether or not he's a good boyfriend, but he's he's clearly attractive. Sure. He's clearly professionally accomplished. Um, he clearly really he's cares about He's doing something Meredith. in the bedroom. Right. He's doing something. <laughs> I agree that I don't really believe it's all that kinky, but, you know, who knows? <laughs> Um, but but now, in fact, he's also um, apologetic and, and sort of a good person. You know, yeah. um, it's always nice to see people own up to their mistakes. Um, and I think that I also really love that I think it's a moment when George recognizes just how deeply screwed he is. <laughs> you know, he's like, not only is McDreamy a billion times more attractive than I am, but he's like a way better person in like pretty much every sense. Yeah, he's this genius surgeon. Yeah. He's yeah. great with kids. It's... Like, there's totally this moment when Derek is, like, playing with Jamie and, like, yes. doing things that a doctor would never do. Like, yes. you know, drawing her blood. Like, yeah. fucking, obviously a nurse is going to do that. Yes. But in, in the fantasy of the show, Derek's doing it. And he's so good, like, pretending the needle's an airplane, whatever. And yeah. you just see George's face, like, are you 
fucking kidding me? He just, like, melts. And I feel for him in that moment, you know? Like, it does suck to, like, see somebody that you like who's with somebody who's a million times better than you. There's zero comparison. Uh, but it's satisfying, because George yeah. is the fucking worst. He's the worst. Um... Yeah, it's a great. I I like that. I like that storyline. I think it, I like the matchup of the two of them and sort of exploring that relationship a little bit this this episode. Yeah. Um, other stuff we should talk about before the bits here. Um. Well, you know, I think we should talk about the fact that Yang doesn't have the flu. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Yang does not have the flu. She's pregnant. She's pregnant. <laughs> Which that bitch pregnant. I think that maybe I'm I'm. Jaded isn't the right word, but seasoned enough with Grey's Anatomy to, like, the second she throws up, you know, or, like, the second she's like, I have a flu, I've seen enough seasons of Grey's Anatomy to, to be like, oh, she's pregnant. You know? Or, like, like, any show, honestly. If, yeah, like, a yes. woman throws up unexpectedly on a television show, I'm like, she's pregnant. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, whoever I'm, whoever I'm watching with is like, she's, like, 60 years old. It's like Grace well. and Frankie. I'm like, well, miracle then. She's pregnant. <laughs> she's for sure pregnant. Um, which is going to be interesting, right? We've seen that Burke is um, clearly has a, a relatively strong moral compass. We've only seen a little bit of that so far, but sort of his desire to talk about things with Christina and talk about their relationship and sort of his define feelings. what they are and his feelings, right? Um, which is sort of a, a polar opposite of, of Christina. So I think this is going to be really interesting. I'm really looking forward to um, seeing how they handle it and how the other characters in the show handle this. Um, yeah. Because I think, again, it, it's more setting into stone who these characters are, um, is, is seeing how they react to big, to big, you know, sort of traumas like this. Um, yeah. Or what, yeah. what Christina inevitably will see as a trauma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So That's we're how left... we feel about yeah. being, preg- yeah. about pregnancy. <laughs> right. So we're left, the very last scene is her, and she's got two, of course, <laughs> two pregnancy tests, which, you know, I guess if they give you two and you don't, you really want to be sure it's right. <laughs> But she's aren't like statistically like false negatives are really really common, but false yeah. positives are quite rare. Oh, so I didn't know that. Sorry, Yang, but yeah. So she's for sure pregnant. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think is what we're supposed to take away from that. Um, which I just I think... like your point that like <laughs> she's a fucking doctor, right? <laughs> Birth control. Like, it's, I have a two strains of thought with that. Like, first of all, how does she not have birth control, like, in the fucking bag? You know, like, yeah. how does she not, as a, as a physician and somebody whose job is so, so important to her, like, her livelihood, of course, but also her, like, intrinsic sense of being. Um, yeah. Is she not, and, and I don't know, it just is madness to me that, like, she has a surprise pregnancy in the dawn of you know, contraception being what it is in the United States and as a physician. And furthermore, I, I just think it's really funny that she's taking like a drugstore pee test to find out if she's pregnant as a doctor in a hospital. You know, like, it is. It's just a, it's a great confluence. Of, it, it really of is here. It really is. <clears throat> All right. Should we get into our bits then? I think we could totally do that. Yeah, let's want. do it. Unless you have um, other things. No, the the one... Well, I was going to talk about the last scene with Izzy and Meredith. Does that come out in our bits at all? Oh, yeah. Um, no, let's let's talk about it now, actually. That'll be our last, our yeah. last bit. Our no, last I agree. Izzy, cut me some slack here. No, you went to Dartmouth. Your mother is Ellis Gray. You grew up... Look at this house. You know, you walk into the OR, and there isn't anyone who doubts that you should be there. 
I grew up in a trailer park. I went to state school. I put myself through med school by posing in my underwear. You know, I walk into the OR and everyone hopes I'm the nurse. I really, really love this scene. Um, the very last scene is Meredith coming home and it, with Izzy, who's, of course, baking. Um, <laughs> and they're talking about Meredith is, is ready to sort of offer an olive branch and say, you know, what version do you want to hear of my, my relationship with Derek? Sort of ready to talk about it. Um, and I love this scene because Meredith is like, I just, you know, like, cut me some slack. And, you know, I just, I didn't know he was my boss, blah, 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 blah. And Izzy is like, no, like, absolutely not. And she calls out Meredith's privilege so quickly and so accurately um, in a way that I just think is is <laughs> so valuable. Um, I think that, that you, I want you to speak to your point a little bit about how, you know, how Meredith is likely perceived um, in this community. Yeah, yeah. So in contrast to George, who's clearly upset about the Derek thing because he's jealous and wants to be with Meredith, Izzy has exactly the right reasons to be upset with yeah. Meredith. Um, and she points out that Meredith, you know, graduated top of her class from fucking Dartmouth. Her mother is Ellis Gray, this world-renowned surgeon. Mm -hmm. um, and on and on, so she she's coming into this program where that her mother got her start in, and that has she has this huge footprint over this entire program that Izzy's trying to succeed in. And then on top of that, now she's banging her boss who is like the leading, you know, neurosurgeon in the United States. And, you know, Izzy's like, I lived, I lived in a trailer park. Like I took risque photos to pay for medical school. Like that's where I'm coming from. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm not getting any special favors. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, I think, and it's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. And Meredith is like sort of receptive and not, I mean, she's not like, oh, you're right. You know, but she's not, she doesn't, you know, say that she's wrong. You know, she sort of accepts it Yeah, um, in a way that I think that it's valuable to really, to not only highlight, but really sort of call out the difference between these two women who have ended up to be, you know, roommates in the same program and whatnot. Um, that I really like that. Um, I think that it's it's accurate and spot on and frankly just important to show the yeah. disparity between these two women. Um, and then it's <laughs> Izzy sort of sort of teases Meredith for she realizes that she's falling for Derek, you know, and she calls yeah. Meredith out on that, too. And it's funny and sweet um, and sort of like good female friendship fodder right there. Yeah. Um, which, which, of course, is why I, we started just, this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> and I like it because. Um, it's clear that Yang is sort of going through her own stuff right now. And so I like that Meredith is sort of getting, you know, she doesn't strike me as somebody who has a lot of friends. <laughs> um, and so I like sort of the patience that, that Izzy has with her and that she's sort of ready to eat chocolate cake and talk about boys with, and, and about sex, you know, she like asks about the sex and it's just a great, like, it's a great moment. I really, really like that scene. Um, I yeah. think it's important for, for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. And I think another thing that's so commendable about Izzy in this scene, because this is this is really hard with people like if you're mad at someone, you're mad at your friend, your best friend, whatever, um, and you acknowledge what you're mad at and you get it out and you think that's the end, but you're still mad about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and it's shitty because the other person doesn't really know that they think that's over now yes. because it's been talked about. And it's a credit to Izzy because she's mad. She lays out all of her completely reasonable reasons for feeling the way she does. And then she lets it go. 
and she lets on. it go and she's she's the friend that she can see Meredith needs and that's great yeah it's perfect yeah. Izzy this I think this episode once again highlights sort of Izzy's um ability to read people you know yeah. she's like she's an intuitive she's like an intuitive person um and I like that I think it's a nice it's it's a nice quality that you know eventually sort of bites her in the ass and, and does you know we've already seen it bite her in the ass a little bit but um I think it's in this moment it serves her well yeah yeah and they've been sort of um they've been odd friends like they they've been mostly just thrown together by circumstance and less by like intentional choices made right, right. toward the ultimate goal of friendship yeah. so it's nice to see them actually connecting about yeah. something yeah i agree yeah. i agree um all right let's do the bits bits here we go song of the week we disagreed. Song, I know. Which is good. That's good. It is good. It is good. Um, I have a problem where I always want to give Song of the Week to Tegan and Sarah, which is a problem because they show up in most episodes. I'd like to point out that Megan is, like, the straight one. So, and, she, you know, I mean. Who's seen Tegan and Sarah live, like, three or four times. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, but Tegan and Sarah, Downtown, great yeah, song. Yeah, good song. Great um, song. I pick, I pick Wilco's Hummingbird. Um, yeah. I think mostly because it plays at the end of the episode, and I love that scene so much. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's what's happening when Meredith and Izzy are talking. And, it's, and also it's great. when George and Shepard are talking. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Sort of... So it's like my two favorite moments from yeah. the episode. Yeah, so. definitely. All right. Well, we disagree. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I forget that we don't have to agree on every single one. <laughs> we must or we have to do it over. That's right. Um, the death tally. Time of death. I think just one, right? We just, just Digby. lost yeah, Digby. Lost Digby. Who was we his... weren't that upset about it. That's right. It's fine. Pretty much his own fault. Rest in peace, Digby. 007. 007, yeah. 007. I said Dr. Taylor. <laughs> he legitimately <laughs> passed out. <laughs> during an operation on a baby so i think i think to answer your question in your notes yes it can be dr taylor <laughs> i originally was going to give it to george because of the reasons previously discussed but i think you're right that it was dr taylor's responsibility to keep a baby asleep during brain surgery and he literally fell asleep on the job yeah, yeah. <laughs> because he, he was drunk so, yeah so yeah. i think it goes to dr taylor 007 yeah. of the week Congrats, um, Dr. Taylor. Yeah, the former Dr. Taylor, Dr. Taylor right. I assume. That's right. Um, I think that Karev, again, goes to Karev. Any <laughs> any hesitation there? I mean, in fairness, no, this is really, Karev. these are all examples of why we, you know, had this award in the first place. This award, <laughs> this bit. That <laughs> he's really, again, peak Karev. Really just, like, hammering home what, like... They're just, like, pushing this so hard during this time of the show and really, like, without apology, just to really establish him as Karev. Yeah, so. he does not have very many, if any, redeeming qualities right now. Yeah, he really doesn't. So. None. <laughs> it's it's just, sort of like, satisfying I, to watch in a way. <laughs> I enjoyed, like, sort of the, the through line of this episode where, like, Karev would just appear in conversations all, yeah. As if he was being digitally added to the episode all yes. over again, like the pilot. <laughs> and then people would just fucking walk away from him because he's so it's, terrible. <laughs> because he's so corrupt. It's great. 
Karev. Going to Karev again. <laughs> All right. Uh, chief resident. What? Are... <sighs> this is tough. Because you and I disagreed on the George thing. And right. I felt like George did a good thing this episode. But I refused to give chief resident to George. So I think I we got to go with yours. I, and even as I was, you know, sort of taking my notes and thinking this through, I originally had voted for Shepard um, because of his sort of owning up to his, owning up to his mistakes. Um, but he made a pretty horrible mistake, <laughs> you know, like, That's true. I, I just don't really know if it, if, if he earned it based on like redemption from doing something horrible. So, um, I think that I want to give it to him because I do think that we see a, a different charming side of his already like annoyingly charming personality. Um, but that doesn't necessarily make him a, a chief resident by, you know, the terms of that. So yeah, I, uh, I don't really think that there wasn't a super clear, like, somebody who was a truly excellent doctor in this episode, um, if that yeah. if that's what the award is about. I, yeah, I would have to agree. I don't, I don't think there's anyone who really um, stuck out to me uh, this episode. Um, honestly, the, the patients were not really central yeah. um, to everything else happening this yeah. episode. So it was hard to name someone who was medically great. Yeah, so no chief resident this week. Do better yeah. next week, yeah. doctors. Come on, doctors. Jesus. <laughs> um, line of the week. I think we both really agreed on this on this moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go, go ahead. <laughs> you do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just Meredith is rarely poetic. Um, <laughs> she's just pretty awkward. It's really true. Um, and she's she's talking to Claire at the end of the episode. She tells Claire that she's called social services. Um, and Claire's like, you know, why? And, and Meredith says, I, I think they could help you. Um, and she has this really beautiful line. She says, you don't know this yet, but life isn't supposed to be like this. It's not supposed to be this hard. And Ugh. it's a gut wrencher. It's, it really is. It's really good. Um, so, and it's also, I like your point that, um, it, it is sort of one from one tragic character to another. Um, and I like your point that you said it, it's you wish that Meredith had internalized this rather than just giving this sort of this like true nugget of wisdom onto a a seventeen year old girl um, yeah. because she doesn't internalize it. You know, Meredith's yeah. life um, is sort of you know infamously shit. <laughs> um, and so I think that it it is a really powerful line, and I think that it's powerful and universal and just like it it's sort of I can like feel it in my guts. Um, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a it's, really great moment. It's a it's an oddly comforting line to yeah. me. There's there's yeah. no promise that it's gonna get better, which I like, yeah. but it's a reassurance that it that it shouldn't be this hard. And I yeah. I like that, and I think that people need that reminder maybe more than we realize we do. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. It's really. Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, All right, so our, our medical <laughs> facts of the week. <laughs> medical, like, I'm almost going to call them factoids. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, um, we got hyped this episode. We did, we did. Um, I, I wanted to look into, Claire goes south of the border on a trip with her friends for spring break and gets this gastric bypass surgery. So initially, I wanted to look into sort of illegal surgeries that happen um, or black market surgeries, or I don't, I didn't even quite know what I was looking for. Um, and I guess in hindsight, unsurprisingly, it was hard to really find details specifically about that um, because they're, 
illegal or on the black market or, you know, it's right, right. It's, it's hard to sort of find statistics, um, about that kind of thing. You just sort of come up against sad articles and stories that are not dissimilar from Claire's. Um, what I did learn is that a lot of people do travel for medical procedures. Um, there's a whole industry called medical tourism, which really freaks me out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it's a, it's a huge thing, particularly with Americans, um, with rising healthcare costs in the U S uh, more than 6 million Americans travel abroad for medical procedures every year. Um, which is a huge quantity. That's a lot of people, um, traveling outside of their (laughs) homes to get anything from like nose jobs. There's all sorts of different things. Um, what, what I found is that the the reason is of course that Medicare, um, Medical care is incredibly expensive in the United States. Um, insurance is expensive and care in general is very, very expensive. Um, and I was reading di- about different procedures and, and you know, a New York Times article talked about hip replacement, joint replacement in particular, which is very common with the aging population, particularly the baby boomers, is these joint replacement surgeries, which are expensive um, and, and because they really flirt with the line between elective and necessary procedures, which um, gets into some blurry lines with uh, insurance. So a hip replacement in the United States can cost up to $100,000. Um, but this gentleman in this New York Times article um, looked into going to France and actually got his hip replaced in Paris for $13,600. And his doctor, they were talking with his doctor and his doctor said, you know, that's actually a little high for France, but, um, but that's what he, what he was charged was 1300 or I'm sorry, $13,000. I found that generally speaking, that one's a little bit less, but generally speaking procedures, um, almost all procedures, whether it's a nose job, heart surgery, gastric bypass, um, just sort of a general sort of rule of thumb is that procedures cost about a fourth of what they abroad, what they do in the United States. Um, so like the gastric bypass that Claire had, I found that in Mexico, that procedure costs between about four and $6,000 and the United States, it costs, yeah. In the United States, it costs about, about between 20 and 20, probably $25,000. Um, so it's, it's, nothing you know yeah. like it's it's just totally nothing and so it's really medical tourism is fascinating because it's people who want you know the nose jobs the boob jobs the plastic surgery um and then and then inching further and further toward necessary procedures um that many people actually travel for heart surgery because it's so much more affordable in other places um so it's really medical tourism is really appealing for people who are uninsured and underinsured um which i think is hugely problematic that people have to go abroad just to get health care that they can afford, um, which we've already talked a little bit about yeah. <laughs> medical care in the United States. But um, it was pretty fascinating to, to read about. Um, one other last interesting thing about it was that a lot of people talked about the difference in medical culture with getting seen doctors abroad, that there was a lot more um, patients and they felt like they were being heard in a way that they never do with a doctor in the United States, which I think is mm-hmm. another sort of interesting piece to that. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Medical tourism. That's, that's devastating. I know. It's, <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> but it's a whole industry, and it's, like, obviously yeah. a growing industry as healthcare in the United States continues to be so contentious. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I learned. Um, not quite – it was, you know, a little bit on, on theme, but uh, – not super surprising that Claire could find a cheap surgery. 
Yeah, yeah. In Tijuana. And, we, and we should note, I mean, this should be obvious, but but we're certainly not encouraging anyone yeah. <laughs> to seek out lower-priced surgeries no. outside of the United States. No, it's really... Uh, it, it's, but that is a thing. <laughs> it is a huge, huge thing, and it's something that time... In every single article I, I read, they said, you know, this should be... You, all of the people that you should be talking to and your own doctor and the research you should do and whatnot, um, and that there are apparently are safe ways to do it, but not without um, sort of exhaustive research and... Uh, and seeing doctors at home along the way. So, yeah. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, I, on the other hand, was really interested um, in Rasmussen's encephalitis, which is what the baby Jamie has. Yeah. Um, I'm mostly interested, again, because Derek's uh, plan of treatment is to remove half of the baby's brain. <laughs> um, and I was just like, okay, <laughs> I don't think that that works. I read One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> That guy was not the same. <laughs> um, so, um, so I did some reading. So Rasmussen's encephalitis um, is is a pretty terrible disorder, um, unsurprisingly. Um, but it's it's described by the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke um, as a rare chronic inflammatory neurological disease that usually affects one side of the brain, right? Um, mm-hmm. So for this baby, one side of her body was having these seizures. So it usually occurs in children under the age of 10, um, and it's characterized by what we saw, frequent and severe seizures, um, loss of motor skills and speech, paralysis on one side of the body, and mental deterioration. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, um, there, there's no treatment. So, um, so anti-epileptic drugs are are not effective in this case really? because it's not a typical seizure, right? So it's, so that medication is not targeting what's actually happening in the body. Um, so surgical procedures, um, are really the best or only bet. Mm-hmm. Um, and surgical procedures, including a functional hemispherectomy, which is exactly what Derek suggests for this baby. Um, it's, it's not necessarily advisable for um, people who are grown, whose brains have developed, because again, you're you're taking out half of half of the brain. Um, and if you are removing a language center or motor skills, you're going to have huge consequences. But babies' brains being so elastic, um, some of that can be regrown. Um, so, so I know it's totally, totally, absolutely crazy. So the the hemispherectomy um, is is where um, you know half of half of the brain is removed and an entire hemisphere is removed or disconnected, um, and so patients will um, usually or oftentimes have partial paralysis on the side of the body opposite mm. of the side oh, that sure. was removed or disconnected, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, but with like therapy, um, a lot of, most children and adolescents can be walking again within mm. weeks or months of the operation. Um, although that they might limp, there might be some other, um, issues with fine motor skills. Um, and, and outcomes really vary. So it's just a really hard thing to predict. There is no other, there's no cure. There's, there's nothing that treats this disorder. And, um... Yeah, so it's just it's uh it's it's really terrible. Um, 
there's there is a lot of research being done. Um, the RE Children's Project was kind of um, a site that I ended up on um, mm. just to do just to do some research. They have um, some uh, like a pretty extensive um, frequently asked question sheet um, and some information on how you can help and um, donating tissue and stuff like mm. that. But um, yeah, it's it's the, the this like radical brain surgery is really oh, it, which is that's just terrifying. That's so. really horrible. <laughs> yeah, so two two medical mysteries in a row that like yeah require really terrible <laughs> treatment. You know, like that affect kids and and are not. And you know, hopefully, if curable. you need to get that treatment, you can afford to have it in the United States yeah, and don't right? have to go to Mexico. Yeah. Which, which, as you point out, you know, is something mentioned by the parents at the at the beginning of the episode that they're worried yeah. about the cost of the hemispherectomy. Yeah. And I think you said something like, <laughs> "Derek, like McDreamy just sparkles at them, and then it's yeah. never brought up again." But yeah, that's that is a very real. It feels thing. like an editing mistake. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's somewhere on the cutting room floor, as that's they say. Right. Um, so huh. that's, that's what we learned this week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> From Grey's Anatomy. Thanks, Grace. <laughs> Keeping it light. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all we have. Um, we have just two more episodes left in this season. Um, yeah. Which is great. Just an awkward nine episode, not even half a season. <laughs> great for us. Um, but uh, I'm really excited. The These next two episodes, I'm excited. They... Um, Grey's Anatomy is all about upping the ante at the end of the season. So um, even with just nine episodes, I think we're going to see a lot of of rich stuff happening these next couple episodes. Agreed. So just a couple of housekeeping notes. Um, You can, as we said, find us on our website, um, code-grays.tumblr.com. We're live on iTunes, which is super rad. Um, So please subscribe to our podcast. Yes. Uh, Because subscribers really help even more than just listeners. Subscribers help. If you're an Android user, um, there is an app called Podbean. That's where we actually host our site. Um, And you can download that from the Google Play Store and listen to our podcast and loads of other podcasts on the go. Um, So check us out and spread the word to strangers, not people we know. (laughs) Mostly people we vaguely know. Please don't contact them. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks so much. And uh, we'll see you next week. 